Hello, I'm Mitch Owens, Decorative Arts Editor of AD, and welcome to the AD Aesthete. Architecture and landscape design are symbiotic entities, the former anchoring the latter and the latter enhancing the former to create a single perfect universe. But one hears less about how architects and landscape designers work together to achieve this. Today, AD100 architect Gil Schaefer and AD100 landscape designer Deborah Nevins talk about their dovetailing assignments and how the ideas of one affect the ideas of the other. Plus, I get roped into reading a poem by Wallace Stevens. I hope you enjoy the show. Whether they're professional and permanent, more or less, or situational, partnerships always really interest me because as a writer, I tend to work alone. So I'd love to know how you all met and not only how you met, but how you realized that you would be a good working team going forward with various <laughs> projects. I mean, I th I'll, I'll start. I, we, um, we met because I was designing a house for my parents, um, as many young architects try to do. <laughs> and uh, when it came to, to the landscape, um, and I was doing it with, um, with a mentor, uh, Robert Orr, who's a arch classical architect out of New Haven. Um, and uh, he had recommended Debbie because he'd worked on, when he had worked at Alan Greenberg's office some years earlier, he had worked with Debbie on the Brandt House in Greenwich. And so that's how we met. That brought us together, that project, which in, didn't actually happen in the end. But mm -hmm. And then there was a hiatus. Then you moved on to another firm. I did. And I was working with that firm, and Gil happened to be the project architect on that project. So we were sort of working together, but not in a totally contractual way, <laughs> you might say. So Gil was looking to build a house, and he first looked at some land in Georgia, and I would go down with him and look at it and look at different. It, it didn't seem to settle in, really. And then Gil bought land in Millbrook, which is, makes more sense, obviously, being near New York. And then I came up one day and tried to help him site the house and also later worked on the landscaping. And it's a very sloped site. And I think Gil first wanted to put the house at the top of the hills. Many people, you know, like the views. And I actually feel views are a little overrated. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot you can do with them. I mean, the view is we the view. We can look at them. Right. It's just that... If the view is great, but the site is not great, and you don't feel that the house feels right there, there's no there there. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to put the house in a kind of little valley below the hill. Um, but yet, putting it in this position gave a lot of views to the house and from the house. So at the top, it would have been beautiful big views, but not so many diverse views, perhaps, mm -hmm. and not felt didn't feel settled. Yeah, I would say for, as the young architect, uh, naive architect, I was, uh, when you you sort of dashed my hopes initially, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I had to sort of grapple with that. 
and which was good. It was a good, and and I think it was wasn't it Frank Lloyd Wright who said you should never build the house mm-hmm. on the highest point so that you actually have somewhere to go to from the house right. that can take advantage of the view. And that of course was really true. And the place that we settled on together was actually the place when I first walked on that land on my own the very first day was the spot where I walked in up into this field and stood on this little knoll in a hollow of land and I said, oh, this would be a nice spot for a house. And then I started to overthink it, as architects sometimes can do, and started to think at the top of the hill. So Debbie helped me to get back to reality a little bit. But it was a nice, I think it was a great way for us to get to know, really get to know each other and how to work together. Mm-hmm. And What and did you think at that, at that moment, that time of working together on that more or less first project, having that first discussion? I mean, how do you find that equilibrium, two different I guess if you're on the same wavelength, so to speak. One thing Gil said, you know, about Frank Lloyd Wright, that you you don't put the house at the very top of the hill so that you have some place to go to from the house Mm -hmm. is really suggestive of a lot of the things that I think about in landscape, about that idea of progression to go somewhere in that kind of psychological unfolding and putting you in a different spot Mm -hmm. mentally too as well as just seeing everything at once there's no more uh, intellectual or psychological interest right I mean there's no it was just something that that you as you've worked together has become a stronger fiber in your work within the landscape working together and we need to have this progression we need to have the moments of surprise yeah i think we both feel that similarly that way that there's a kind of journey i work on just houses and um whereas debbie does houses and and uh, and museums and institutional Mm -hmm. things but for me about with the house it's always about the journey of discovery and arrival and which I think is quite similar to what Debbie's saying, and 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 the way I always always think about the way things unfold, and the and the sense of discovery and surprise, and you don't give it all away. At the right. one of my least favorite things is when someone wants to have, if they have a big view on their property, to give it away the moment you dr- drive in the front gate. You mm-hmm. know, and a lot of times people want to do that because they want to hammer hammer home the idea that uh, there's a view. <laughs> And they want that to be known right from the beginning. Well, what's really and nice about what you're both saying is you're telling a story. Absolutely. You're telling a story through materials, through landscape, through process, through the journey. Mm-hmm. You're taking people on a journey, I think. Well, it was very interesting because my, uh, one, if not my first job, maybe one of my first jobs for the Brants the, in, in Conyers Farm, um, Alan Greenberg was the architect and they had hired Russell Page. And there was a falling out with Russell Page. And then I was asked to come in. But Russell Page had, with Alan, and I don't know who did what or whatever, uh, it's a very classical house. He put the driveway such that you come around the side and then you see the big you know, front facade. And so many people want to do the opposite come right up to the front door. But this was so much more interesting because then there was also a view out mm-hmm. from um, the house from the front door that wasn't a driveway. It was then 
This, I mean, it's in the it's in the Russell Page book, but that you, you, beautiful motor court. But then beyond that was a hill and you know sort of beautiful land, and so it was all much more soft than seeing a driveway at mm. the front door. Yeah. And that was an interesting thing for me to see, so young. So that really was a, a transformational. Well, I always moment. think about it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I thought that's unusual. And, you know, it was so interesting. But it relates to what Gil was saying about not seeing all the view at once. Mm -hmm. One of the things for me as an architect working with Debbie is that Debbie comes from the world of architectural history before she was a landscape designer. And so I think it gives her a unique perspective about architecture. And that's, that's one of the fun things about being an architect, working with her, because she often knows the architectural history way better than we do. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I think that's really interesting and fun. And I think that was one of the things that put us right away on the same Mm. Way, that we discover we're on the same wavelength. And we, we have a lot of the same instincts about things, even though we might come at it a little different way. We might debate about one approach or another. But I think at the end of the day, easy to work together. And I know for me, at least, I always trust her instincts, ultimately, on how to approach something, even though I might not always understand it when I look at the drawing. I have to believe, and, I, and it's easy for me to believe in the end, in what we're going to end up with. And that architectural history background allows you a, a certain overlap in terms of uh, well, first language of all, and I knowledge? Well, I get it right away when, you know, when I look at a building, I can read a drawing very well, and also I, because um, when I went to graduate school at Columbia, they have this great architectural history library, but in that same building, Avery, is the architecture school. So I, I remember, you know, learning how to read architectural drawings because I was hanging out with some architects. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I'm able to understand what the architect is going for pretty easily. Maybe others do too, but mm -hmm. not because I, they did or didn't study art history or architectural history. How do you influence each other? I know that you've you've mentioned uh, Debbie and the sighting of of your your house, but vice versa, because you're you're discussing a, a dialogue in the way that, let's say, Russell Page and Stefan Boudin did so many times, and Lutyens and Jekyll. I mean, I could I imagine mm. the discussions that they must have had over houses and sighting and views and mm -hmm. in and out and out and in. Right. I mean, I think, I mean, oftentimes we we are lucky enough to get to cite the house together. Like, we, we're, the we're engaged together, mm -hmm. uh, which is really fortunate. And I always push for that if somehow I'm called first. But a lot of times she's called first, and then we, you know, she's she's mm -hmm. referred me, and I've been lucky enough to be hired. But, but many times I'm often the first one to do the sketch because of the schematic design of the house sometimes comes a little bit before the landscape, even though we might have worked together in sighting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, you you are reacting to mm -hmm. my first thought, and sometimes, you know, that's good, and sometimes you're saying, oh, no, we need to, <laughs> no, how about this? This works better. Um, but I don't know, from your perspective, mm -hmm. Debbie, how do you see that? <laughs> that process has I been... I it's, it's hard to describe. Because I'm really interested in that, in the, in the process. I'm always personally more interested in the process than I am in the finished product <laughs> mm -hmm. because I find the process to be like shaping a sentence or shaping a paragraph. How many times do you 
redo it and rejigger it and reshape it. I mean, from my perspective, it's been really collaborative mm-hmm. over the, over the yeah. years. I can think of a house, not to, I won't name a name, <laughs> uh, where sometimes Gil will have an instinct. I don't know. Uh, Gil will have an instinct, and he has to give some <laughs> some an opposite example where he was going to put a porch on this beautiful sort of. Uh, very square Regency sort of English in, stone um, kind of yeah, house mm-hmm, country exactly. house model you and, know, very cubic in its shape and I just felt it should be more pure and so he actually liked that idea or in that same particular house the uh, clients wanted to put it on the top of a hill again right and so we sort of rejiggered together where it would best work with a terraces and things like that midway well sometimes i will Uh, draw a plan that suggests a garden space you know on one side mm -hmm. or another or a certain way of coming in and that might that might shape your reaction to Mm -hmm. putting the garden space there in the end but then Mm -hmm. you transform that idea Mm -hmm. into your own um just anecdotally, it's sort of funny. We were talking on the phone a little bit the other day. Is that Gertrude Jekyll's first commission with Lutchens, mm-hmm. you know, he did her house. Right. And he was very young at the time, uh, was for a garden hut. And <laughs> <laughs> one of the first uh, times Gil and I worked together other than his house was I had been working on a project in upstate Connecticut for many years, maybe 10. And then they decided to transform, well, maybe not that long, but anyway, uh, a tennis court into a potager. Mm -hmm. And then I brought Gil in, and his first commission for this client was a garden shed in this potager. (laughs) But it... It It all began with a garden, with a potting shed. (laughs) Then, uh, maybe five years later or so, they decided to build another house on the same property and hired Gil, so sort of like Munstead Wood. Interestingly, Um, it was almost to the day 100 years after Lunch really? and the yeah. got started. But but um, uh, that was a fun project, and, and that potting shed was a, maybe a humble beginning uh, for my firm, mm-hmm. but it was a very auspicious one, I think. Do you um, find those dialogues of the past, those professional dialogues of, of interest, um, either separately or, or together, I mean, reflective of what you're well, doing now? maybe inspirationally, like... Um, I might say, oh, there's this house by Lutchens on a narrow lot. Uh, we were just looking at it uh, called Millmead. It's not a very well-known house. Uh, you know, I, I might say to Gil, oh, go look at that. And say, yeah, I like that. How about this or that? You know, mm. that kind of, because I have such a depth of knowledge of architecture. Mm. And our language is almost right. more visual than it is words, right? right? And so to be able to have that fluency of, you know, go look at this picture or go to that place and look. And that's such a Mm -hmm. wonderful way to kind of exchange ideas. Back and forth of information, inspirational sources, you know. Because sometimes you can't capture it in the words, but if you just go look at the place, whether that's through the picture or actually to be there, you, you, oh, okay, I get it. Now I see what you're trying. Well, now I want to run out Mm -hmm. and find that house. (laughs) I I don't know that Lutchen's house. I'll I'll send you a, we we found it in a Country Life issue the other day. I mean, I've been there, but my slides aren't, that's how far back it was that I went, aren't scanned, but actually online you could buy 
I think it was a country life issue mm -hmm. which featured it so immediately came up online I mean that's the one thing I like so much about your work together and I, when I think of Lutchens and Jekyll and I think of Page and Boudin etc cetera, etc cetera, is the the fluency of the architecture to landscape landscape mm -hmm. to architecture that everything fits it has a natural flow back and forth mm -hmm. which I think is a, obviously a really crucial aspect to any successful domestic or commercial project that's involving landscape and a building and I think that a lot of people don't necessarily understand you can sort of have the building but yet the landscape if you're sort of left to your own devices is like a crazy quilt of little ideas that don't <laughs> quite adhere mm -hmm. so the idea of having something that has that has a, a, a body that breathes mm -hmm. in and out um, landscape so, and house is something I think more people should know more about. I don't know how you convey that. The trouble is trying to convey that in a magazine article or a page where you want to actually be able to walk through it mm. and see what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. What always astonishes me that people want to leave, that if people want to leave the landscape design to the end, you know, or we'll, we'll get to that later. Like, no, you have to, you have to do that from the beginning because there's the, just because there's a wall there doesn't mean that they're different spaces and mm -hmm. they have to be thought about together. Can you explore that Sometimes a little more? Sometimes the money runs out at the end. Well, that's true. <laughs> true. For me. But, but, but maybe at least you have the skeleton of what's going to happen eventually, mm -hmm. yeah. you hope. Yes. But I like that you say that just because there's a wall there doesn't mean they're separate spaces, that mm -hmm. they need to be thought about 100%. in the same way. I mean, I know in reading about like Cecil Pinsent and that sort of world of Florence in the mm -hmm. 1910s and 20s and reading about the Italian gardens and the, the sort of almost like these villas and yet the gardens outside of them are as if you've pulled a drawer out of the house. <laughs> and That's a very nice what a wonderful. Yeah. It all seems to work coherently in the sense of a natural progression mm -hmm. of spaces going indoors and out. I mean, well, you don't knitted, just stop at a porch. Knitted together. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that, yeah, that knitting together is so, I mean, it's so integral to the way I think we think about, mm -hmm. about, about the house and garden together. And How do you get clients to think that way from the beginning? Now, I know you, you have a d different... <laughs> I think they're in a way self-selecting. Mm -hmm. But also I was saying to someone, I was just about to say to you, that you also have to have the good client who is either knowledgeable or thirsting for knowledge. And the best projects I've done have often been art collectors. How so? Well, they just get it. They know about. They know that the form is important, and they're interested in horticulture and beautiful things. And they're interested enough to go out and look at gardens. You know, a project I had in Houston. Uh, we went to France together and looked at because it was sort of a French house. Mm -hmm. Or the Brants. I mean, they were art collectors, but Sandy had. Uh, she really knew about the history of landscape architecture. In fact, that's how I met her, because I was teaching a course at Cooper Hewitt in landscape history. And she that's how I met her, actually. So she was in your course? Yeah. Or this project I was mentioning before about citing, not citing the house on the hill, but midway, this Regency kind of formalism. Mm -hmm. That Those people aren't necessarily art collectors, but the uh, woman in the couple, uh, her business is making 
beautiful rugs. So she immediately has a um, appreciation for, you know, art and beauty and such. And form and color and... Yeah. And the other sort of genre of clients I've had that have been successful have been in the movie industry. We have one, Mm -hmm. or the or the Broadway world, mm-hmm. you know, where they, how should I put it? Well, they're storytellers. Exactly. And so they, they understand. They see it cinematically exactly. or theatrically. And although they're not, piece. they're also visual. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're in the movies or plays on Broadway, you know, you're thinking visually and about a story, actually. Because mm-hmm. there's this other project we did together in East Hampton. And the house was there and a beautiful stable, and, but it was a, it's a very small lot. It's less than two acres, I think. Yeah. And people might think to, you know, have a beautiful lawn and there's a pool and some structure like a pergola to sit under the pool and then lawns around the house. But instead, we designed this kind of circuit. You could take your daily constitutional in mm-hmm. a way, the way the paths are and plant it out mm-hmm. and... This client, and I can remember another one that I worked for where my fault was not thinking big enough in a way. So this particular client, we, I put uh, two beautiful beech trees, and then he wanted more beech trees. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. I would never have thought to say, okay, spend X more, t- you know. And, and it, they really became like sculpture in this Mm-hmm. Place mm-hmm. and he's a collector of sculpture, so yeah. and it sort of makes sense. It just sort of and takes it to the next level, you know, right. and <laughs> ceramics and other things. So that visual language, yeah, sen- yeah. sensitivity. Even though he's, he's not an art collector yeah. per se, like some other people I worked for that have de Koonings or things mm-hmm. like that, but a smaller scale art collector of of decorative arts more. I mean, I, I think just getting back to your question that started all this, how do you get clients to believe in that I think and Debbie's saying that we we're probably pretty fortunate and the clients are already believing in the importance of that right. and and I, it's something that I it's one of the first questions I ask when I'm interviewed I say well who's who are you thinking of for landscape <laughs> uh, because it's such an I, I don't want to think about my building without that being part of it just as I also ask who's going to be the decorator because that at as well is equally important so I think we've been lucky in that that's just it's sort of a given you know I, I don't really want to get into a project where there's not going to be a landscape mm-hmm. person involved because it's it just doesn't it's like you know half the story is not there then but also if someone says oh I just want something easy I'm really not for them <laughs> what do you mean do you mean like I don't mean lo- personally, low maintenance I don't think, or do you mean I, I, I don't, yeah or do you mean? I don't mean that I'm difficult, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean is, oh, you know, just some hydrangeas and a few other things. Well, that's so not making a decision at all. It's, right. It's, that's a good that's, way to that's put somebody it. That's somebody who's not taking any interest in it sli- mm-hmm. in the slightest. Or it's formulaic, and you don't really want to be mm-hmm. formulaic. Or trying to answer a question that hasn't even been posed yet. You know, like, I want something easy. Well, where do we go with that conversation? <laughs> can appreciate that. Um, because you could do things that are low maintenance, but interesting spatially. Mm-hmm. And conceptually, yeah. 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 
I remember you all doing this incredibly beautiful house. I don't think I wrote the article, but I do know I edited it. Um, <laughs> this beautiful stone house that um, instead of, as I recall, instead of there being any front porch of any mm -hmm. kind, it was a low-walled entrance mm -hmm. court, not like for cars, but an entrance mm -hmm. court, with cloud-pruned mm -hmm. box, and it was one of the prettiest combinations of hard and soft that I'd ever seen. I felt like you were walking, going through it must have been like walking through a, a, literally a green cloud. <laughs> Everything so, because with a, with a facade like that, I was expecting more of a sort of very traditional clipped uh, or, or pruned area of mm -hmm. shrubbery as opposed to walking through clouds. <laughs> and I thought that was a really beautiful Thank you very much. entrance. <laughs> but also I thought that whole project was amazing because um, you had the house and then you had the, the arch where mm -hmm. you drove in and the barn. And so again, it was this story of not only a chronology of building, but also how the landscape seemed to fit so perfectly within that chronology. And I know it was an artificial chronology, but it was a really mm. moving one. Well, it was also... What was interesting about that was the landscape really was the tool to solve a lot of difficult prob site problems and issues that that making it look effortless. And that it started with being in the middle of a cornfield with zero character. Yeah, it was just like, you know, plunked down in the middle of a cornfield, which is where the client liked the view. And we were both kind of scratching our heads because we, there was no there there. There was no place to it at all. So we really had to create the place. And Debbie had, and then it had a slight slope to it mm -hmm. also. But then it slopes up from the boxwood clouds. Right. So it, in a way, it's sort of like the Brandt house because you come out from, you, you come in from the side, and then you look up through those green boxwood clouds, and then across, and then there's an orchard on the far side as you drive in on the right. Mm -hmm. Trying to knit the house again into the land by adding. And then the other thing I loved is that you carved, you kind of carved into that slope. So we had low retaining walls mm -hmm. um, that made it feel nestled in and made you, made it, started to make it feel like a place because it wasn't sitting up on that flat sloping cornfield, but it was kind of cut into it a little bit. I right. remember, I remember the you site walking we, across, if, when you walked out the front, as I remember, Across a drive and then into the orchards, yeah. mm -hmm. you had these destinations. But I that also made sense. designed these grasses. I think this is right. Sort of grass steps up, yep. mm -hmm. and then the, uh, you know, the orchard. The orchard. Yeah, yeah. And we did the orchard was a way, another way to kind of take that agrarian vocabulary and and expand out from the house, so it began to knit into the land. Mm -hmm. And then the that that courtyard of bo cloud like box was was set slightly down again from where the cars mm -hmm. were parked and and it was you're right it was a little unex unexpected solution I would I don't think I would have come with up with that all on my own and uh, so that was a sort of wonderful mm. byproduct of our dynamic what, what what led you to consider the cloud pruning as opposed to oh a more typical approach we just go Right, it, would, it becomes it would great be big clouds. It doesn't. It doesn't grow. In fact, I remember being in a nursery and seeing all these wild boxwoods somewhere in this nursery being held for another designer. And I said, "What is that?" He said, "Oh, this person really wanted to use wild boxwood." 
but I mean, this isn't wild there, right. but it's speaking back to something growing. Plants actually grow in the wild. People forget that. <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, in terms of um, looking back, Debbie, what are who are some of the the landscape designers or garden designers that that fuel your vocabulary? People well, that because I know how much you love history. Some Russell Page, but Dan Kiley. Mm-hmm. I would say as a, a person that's alive and modern, you know. Right. I've never been to his house in Charlotte, Vermont, but I'd like to go. You know, it was a great place. He he lived and worked there. Mm-hmm. And he had, as I understand it, I could be wrong, he had these sort of skyways, you might say, between these buildings who walk through the trees. <laughs> oh. And now I may be imagining all this because my favorite novel is The Baron in the Trees by oh, I Calvino, love the Baron in the trees. <laughs> where he lived yeah. in the trees for the rest of his life. But That's um, an incredible actual even thinking of I have a, a, a friend who's a Spanish architect and he doesn't really like his um, first year architecture students to even think about designing anything until they go through his entire reading list and it's all <laughs> of novels or poems Great. that have to do with rooms or houses wow, and we how want that reading list in. I want that reading I'll list I'll get it for you <gasps> yes. but it, it's, it's really fascinating I was thinking that if you're a young landscape architect to be mm-hmm. that starting out reading The Baron in the Tree is, is not actually a bad way to begin. No. Because you have or the, the sound of leaves around you all the time. Yeah. Oh. Richard Jekyll said she could tell what type of tree a tree was, what species, if her eyes were closed by the sound that the, that the wind made coming through the trees. <laughs> I think the only one I can do like that is uh, aspen. Oh, that that's I think a good I can point. do because it's yeah. very clattery. Yeah, that's I right. Mean, my grandparents had those when I was a child, and I thought they were <laughs> just magical the way they sounded. Yeah. I mean, I can't do that. <laughs> that's the only one I can do, so I'm, I'm, I'm not one up on anybody, trust now, me. Now, wait, wait, where are we going? Well, with Dan Kiley. I'm told it's not Vita Sackville West, but Vita Sackville West. Vita. The English say. Very, you know, important to well, me. Sissinghurst is kind of yeah. your, your touchstone, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I've never been there. Oh, you have to I, go. I would really l- love to go I've because been there it just sounds like a times. dream of a renovation and again a partnership where, where as as I recall, mm-hmm. sh- she did layouts and Harold planted. No, the things. opposite. It was the opposite. Okay, but I thought that was quite wonderful. Yeah, he he was more the formal, but they had lived in Tehran, mm-hmm. and he, earlier in their marriage, and I think that Islamic. You know, r- the idea of rooms and such were somewhere in their mind because mm-hmm. they, they took this old Elizabethan farm with these walls and uh, put them together and left the walls and in a very formal way. But then she put this, you know, incredible damask, you might say, of plants mm. over this structure, mm. like over a chair. <laughs> that would be a beautiful thing to see because I've always, I've always been told that, you know, <laughs> the, the, what, what you want is to have a really formal layout mm-hmm. and then just let it go crazy inside yeah no it's, it's, it's this is what it sounds like from the photographs amazing. i've seen are beautiful they don't even do justice to it so what what are what are you working on together now anything well we're just we're just finishing up a house up in um washington connecticut that um where simplicity going on for a is while. the mantra. Yes, yeah, no, so it's true. Simplicity is a mantra. It's a very American house. We actually moved. Uh, it was a house that had an 18th century core and then sort of 20s 
additions not so not so workable and the owner but but because it was an 18th century house it was right on the road mm -hmm. and he really wanted to move it back and so we just picked the whole center core up and moved it back i don't know how many 100 feet maybe something not that much and then that actually gave debbie some room to create a landscape mm. around it and then and then it's, of course it's set within beautiful fields and um to make that transition but it, but it was again with a lot of our our work together less is more and and knowing when enough is enough and mm. and that that's very much i think it was a light touch here can it's you tell me fun. about the landscape there that you've created well, it's very, very, very minimal, but it does a lot because the house, beyond the house, are these huge fields. I mean, hills, sorry, hills. With fields. In the, yeah, yeah, and fields and hills, and the owner didn't want to do much with them. I would have done a little more. But um, so all I did, there's this big flat lawn now that you come off the back, and then I just made these stone walls with two big trees. And I, I, Gil and I were talking the other day, and I was sending him this image of this other house in England that called Modest Font Abbey, which is the oh, national... Modest Font. Have you been? No, I, but I know it. I, again, one of those things, just having read a lot about it. But the thing that they don't sort of talk about, they talk about the, it's the National Trust Rose Garden, but then the house is old, and Rex Whistler did... The palmets in the drawing room, the yeah. sort of faux And frescoes mm. and but you look out of the house into this big flat field and then there's just these stone walls magnificent trees beyond and all that was there are these stone walls with two urns it's sort of like the is it wallace stevens the famous poem about the urn in the field in tennessee where <laughs> you just put an urn in a field and it pulls everything together yeah um, which it does that it makes a place yeah so that was inspirational to me. I've always, always loved this Anecdote landscape. Anecdote of the Jar. That's it. By Wallace Stevens. Yeah. That's wonderful. Look, read the line. Okay, here we go. I placed a jar in Tennessee, and round it was upon a hill. It made the slovenly wilderness surround that hill. The wilderness rose up to it and sprawled around, no longer wild. The jar was round upon the ground and tall and of a port in air. That's really beautiful yeah. Yeah. to be able to put an object in the middle and everything suddenly mm -hmm. coalesce. If it's in the right place. If it's in the right places. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for introducing me to yeah. that poem, which I know nothing about, and now I'm going to use that as a, as a touchstone. <laughs> but the other thing that 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 just those that simple wall urn or no urn does is, is something that you always talk about, which is the definition of territory, and I'm I'm a big believer in that too of creating creating making a place and with sometimes the just the most minimal of gestures and that's a great title for a book it's probably is my book okay good all right all right we will be waiting for the definition of territory certainly is my talk usually um, but it's i but mean i, like I think it's because it, 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 it it's kind of a hallmark a of our work together you want to know mm -hmm. yeah and we there's and a sense of completion yeah and and you can do it with with not very big gestures and um, you know I sometimes say to clients just because you can doesn't mean you should and and uh, say more about that in other words yeah, no, just because you can do anything or you can do lots sometimes doing oh, yeah. less is the right answer and I think you're you're actually you're particularly gifted mm -hmm. at that and knowing where that line is between doing less and, and not having it be simplistic mm -hmm. but having it be simple 
and sometimes that is the most powerful um, because you look at the the gestures that are made and it's sort of like why I, I myself am not a minimalist but I, I have a huge respect for people that can edit an interior so that there's just the very few objects and they right. have a tremendous power those few things in a room and I'm, I'm not quite there yet myself visually but but I think in, in, in landscape knowing when and sometimes you need to bring all the guns a blazing but then mm. other times you need to just speak softly on, on the land. But there are moments where you can, like you said, bring all the guns blazing and then just start pulling them back and thinking, no, we need to go quieter, quieter, simpler. But I like the idea of being able to remind people when enough is enough. Um, Because, you know, humans like to ornament. (laughs) Humans like to collect Mm. things and add things. and. But um, more and more, I like less. More and more, I like less as well. I used to think it was a cliché that the older you became and you were interested in gardens, the greener your garden became, the fewer flowers happened. But I'm totally understanding this now. (laughs) I I went to uh, Frank Cabot's stone crop um, up on the Hudson a couple of years ago, and I remember thinking, I'd never seen anything so beautiful with one area. It must have been 20 feet deep and I would say easily 300 feet long, and all it was was ostrich ferns. Mm. That was it, Wow. with a grass path next to it. And I thought, I would like to rip out every rose that I have (laughs) and only have just these great swaths of ostrich ferns. But I do think that's a really interesting thing. The older we get, the Mm. the Yeah, I like fewer and fewer flowers. (laughs) I like flowers inside the house, not necessarily out. Oh, I like them outside, too. (laughs) I like them in a cutting garden, but I'm finding myself liking them less and less Uh mixed in with things. things. I want them to be shunted off to their own. Maybe in the age of email and everything else, we need more calm. Yeah. It's possible. It's very hard for me to read a novel. You know, I have to really, it's like I have to do meditation before I start reading fiction. (laughs) Well, I think the thing to start out with is to find our field and find our urn (laughs) and get the Wallace Stevens poem about the jar. (laughs) Debbie Nevins, Gil Schaefer, thank you very much for coming today. Thank you. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. The ADS Theat is produced and edited by Diane Dragan and Emma Wartzman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com.